Well, you may have noticed that um, we've bounced off of um, the teaching that's in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, that's where we are, so you can go ahead and start turning there in your Bibles. But um, this passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 raises up uh, to, and puts in front of our eyes the intersection of money and the Christian's life. And it raises all sorts of issues about how we should... Um, be approaching money and how should we be thinking about that and so we've piggybacked on that and if you stay for our Sunday schools you'll notice we've started a, a short series about that issue and then for those that uh, both through a combination of looking at First Timothy chapter 6 and perhaps in the Sunday school class or maybe even uh, just for other reasons um, you you sense a desire in your life to to maybe straighten out the financial part of your life or or have it be in a way that glorifies the lord more um we have we're offering the financial peace university which comes later and then two wednesdays from now there's an information meeting where you can find out more about it we showed a little clip last week about it that highlighted the idea of debt and uh, many people are struggling with debt but i didn't want you to think that that financial peace university was just for people in debt it's for anyone who who wants to uh, kind of get a hold of that part of their life for one paragraph in their brochure says this um, most people struggle to make ends meet they just have too much month left at the end of the money if you have made mistakes and feel like your money vanishes each month, you are not alone. In fact, 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, regardless of income. So if you're interested, check out. Uh, there is a, a flyer in the back, and uh, check all that out. It may, you may find it very, very helpful. But now, let's keep looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, page 1413, if you're... Uh, using our Bibles. We're going to look at verse 9 and 10, but I'm going to start back at um, verse 6. So I'll read verses 6 to 10. It says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But... Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is interesting as he gets to verse 9 and 10 there. He's speaking to a particular audience. The, he, he, he's pointing his finger at a particular group of people. And that particular group of people is not identified by anything on the outside. It's identified by a desire inside of them. You see that in verse 9. But those who want to get rich, that's who he's talking to now. Do you want to get rich? Do you have a desire to be rich? If you do, then verse 9 and 10 is, is for you. And we have to um, be honest with ourselves, and we have to just be honest with this passage of Scripture and just let it say what it's saying. Usually there's a passage like this, when, when it comes up, we immediately try to say, well, but 
what about this and that? But let's just let it say what it's saying. And something that is uncomfortable to us is that in verse 10, there's a phrase there that's equated with a phrase in verse 9. In verse 9, it says, for the love of, I mean, for verse 9, it says, for those who want to get rich, etc. And then in verse 10, it says, for the love of money is, etc. And we may not like it, but it's saying here that if a person who wants to get rich has a love of money, we might want to say, well, it doesn't have to be that way. I can want to get rich and not love money. But I'm sorry, the Bible is equating them. That's what's happening there in verses 9 and 10. The four there at verse 10. This Verse 10 is explaining what's been said in verse 9. So we have to not soften what this is saying. If you want to get rich, you have a love for money. And that desire inside of us, that's what's being addressed in verses 9 and 10. And there's three parts to each verse. And there's, there's verse 9 and 1, 2, 3. And then there's verse 10 and 1, 2, 3. And the way I want us to look at this this morning is I'm going to take the three from verse 10 and verse 9 and put them together, lay them on top of each other. And I think that you will see that they relate to each other. Let them comment on each other and explain each other. And let's look this morning and explore the results of harboring within ourselves a desire to get rich. That's what we're going to see here. What happens when I harbor within myself a desire to get rich? Well, we'll see. First of all, if you have within yourself a desire to get rich, you will endanger yourself. You will endanger yourself. That's what's being said here. And another way of expressing this idea that's said here in verse 9 and 10 is that you will expose yourself to temptation. Look again at verse 9. It says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation. And so we might like to think that there's a way to desire to get rich without falling into temptation. But God is saying, time out. If you have within yourself a desire to get rich, you will fall into temptation. You'll lead yourself into temptation. You'll expose yourself to temptations that wouldn't be there if you weren't wanting to be rich. It's interesting that it's the opposite of the Lord's Prayer. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, we say, Lord, um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Wouldn't it be ironic if a a church-going person prays that prayer and then walks out of the building with the desire to be rich? So he's asking God, don't lead me into temptation, but he himself is leading himself into temptation. It's the opposite of the Lord's prayer. And then you see now look at verse 10, the first part of verse 10. It says for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. How many of you have heard it's said all the time, right? That little cliche that money is the root of all evil. How many have heard that? Money is the root of all evil. You know that's wrong, right? What did I just say? Money is the root of all evil. It's amazing how people um, take Bible verses, twist them a little bit, and those are the things people think of. Money is the root of all evil. Is that what this verse says? No, it doesn't say that money is the root. This verse says 
that the love of money is the root, right? So it's not, it's not money. It's the love of money is the root. And uh, it also, the, the saying is, money is the root of all evil. Is that what this passage says? No, no. It's the love of money is a root. There are a lot of roots of evil. The love of money is one of them. So that old saying, money is the root. Okay, it's wrong on two points. It's also wrong on a third. That the saying is, money is the root of all evil. Or it's the root of evil. No, this passage says the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. There are other roots and there's other evils. All kinds of evil comes out of having a desire to be rich, is what Paul is saying here by the inspiration of the Spirit. Um, But not all evil. And the love of money isn't the only root of evil. But what is being said very clearly here, look again there at the first part of verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation. If I want to get rich, I expose myself to temptation. Temptation comes my way that wouldn't be coming my way if I wasn't desiring to be rich. There's a danger of exposing myself to, da- to uh, evil. I, I, this makes me think about one time... We were hiking, backpacking in the Adirondack Mountains. And it was in the spring, but the Adirondacks are north and the mountains are norther. So even though it was a spring, there was a chance of quick snow storms coming up, um, especially on the tops of the mountains. And we had a group there. And in the one part of the hike, we had to hike up over the tallest mountain on our, on our particular trail. We were going to hike over the top and keep going. And the weather was looking a little bit iffy, and I coached everybody. I said, now look, if, we get, if a snow squall comes up, just hunker down, find some shelter, and stay put until it's done. Because if you're not careful, you'll walk right over the top of this thing. Because there's, there's not like any handrails up there. And sure enough, as we're hiking, we get spread out a little bit, but everybody's at least with a partner. And sure enough, this thing hit. And I tell you, I couldn't see, I couldn't see 15, 20 feet in front of me. The snow is coming in, and me and my buddy, we, we found this big boulder and just got up next to this boulder and just hunkered in there. And I, but then I'm feeling responsibility because of the group. And I'm thinking, man, I sure hope they're all doing what I told them. I said, hang on just a second. So I took a couple steps out. Snow is it's stinging my face. I can't see anything. And I'm thinking, I'm getting back in there. <laughs> I got back. And then I looked at the guy and said, I do really hope everybody is not like walking right now. And sure enough, it blew over, and, and we came back with as many people as we went. They were actually even the same people, which is good. <laughs> but you know, when, when you have within you, this is what the Bible says. I didn't make this up. When we have within us a desire to get rich, let's just say it just the way the Bible says, we're walking away from that boulder. We're walking out there into the snowstorm. And we're exposing ourselves to all kinds of dangers that we wouldn't have if we didn't have within us that desire to get rich. What are some of the evils that the love of money is a major root or cause of? Well, cheating, 
fraud, perjury, lying, stealing, envy, quarreling, violence, even murder. All of those things. The love of money plays into them often. John Stott, a theologian, said this, Greed lies behind marriages of convenience, perversions of justice, drug pushing, pornography sales, blackmail, the exploitation of the weak, the neglect of good causes, and the betrayal of friends. It's true that the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And you will endanger yourself if you harbor within yourself a desire to get rich. Secondly, another result is that you will entrap yourself. Look, look again at verse uh, 9. What, but, and notice, do notice how verse 9 starts. It starts, but... There's a contrast going on. And the contrast is what we've talked about the last two weeks. This idea about biblical contentment. You know, it's saying there in verse 8, well, if we have, this is his final line in his discussion about contentment. He says, well, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But, so he's talking about there's, we can be content, but there are some who aren't content. They want to get rich. And for them, in verse 9, it goes on and says, uh, they will fall into temptation and a snare. There will be a snare. You've heard me talk before about the snares that were set when we lived in Africa. The, The people that we lived with were expert hunters and trappers. And they taught, especially my son, would hang out with them. And they would teach him how to set little snares uh, for birds, these birds that you could eat. And they get the snare all set around, so it's a, it's a, it's around, it's like a string or cord, and in the middle, and it was set with some tension. But in the middle, they put a little, a little pile of corn. They just put a little pile of corn there, and they knew that all that bird had to do was step inside that circle, at going after that corn, and they're they're caught, they're snared. And they're snared because they're, they're, they're wanting something. And so they, they go after what they want. And then they get, they get caught. And so it is with us. If we want to get rich, there are snares set out there that if we walk around with that desire inside of us and we see the little pile of corn, we go after it. And then, boom, we get, we get caught. You remember last week... When we were talking about, and we talked about this briefly at the end of the sermon, about our motivation for working. Why is it that we work anyway? And oh, I, we, should, we should talk about this for a whole series or something. But quickly, you remember that we saw in the scripture that one reason we work is that to provide for our needs. And that is, a, it's biblical. It's spiritual to do that a matter of fact the scripture speaks very clearly about those who won't work in order to provide for their needs or their family and has strong words for them so there's nothing wrong with providing for ourselves with work a matter of fact god wants us to do that another reason that we work another motivation for working is to help people i actually am serving people when i when i work 
Sometimes this is seen in some professions and work. This is very, it's very direct. I think about the medical field. Think about nurses. Their, their work, they are directly helping people. They're serving people in their work is very clear. But almost every job that you can think of serves people in certain ways. I think about a truck driver. A truck driver, where, where would our country be anyway if we didn't have trucks? When you're driving along 78 by about Route 100, you might wish there weren't any trucks. But then when you go to the store, you're glad there are trucks. Because everything you're buying in there got there by a truck. Truckers help people because they're getting things from one place to another. And they're doing it because people need things at that other place that come from somewhere else. Almost, I just use those two as examples, nurses, truckers. But our jobs help people, and that is a motivation in our lives. I want to help people with my life. Another motivation that we have when we work is that we glorify him. And again, we don't have enough time, but, but I'll just say it again, that, that our whole life, which includes our work, it is our work. This is my response back to God. He created me. He put me on this earth. And now he's redeemed me. So what I am and do with my life is a response back to him. And I want to glorify him with all of that. And so if I, if I work uh, to provide for myself and my family, to serve people, to glorify God, and then I'm content, I leave the results to God. He gives and he takes away. And sometimes we don't know why. But he, he blesses and and. He provides for me, and what comes is what comes, but, but I'm, my motivation is not just to get. My motivation are these other things. And when those are the reasons why I'm working, I walk right past the little piles of corn. Amen? Do you get this? The person who is working because they want to get sees every pile of corn along the trail and is tempted to step in. If the reason you are working is just to get and to get more and to use the Bible language, you have a desire to get rich. You're going to step in every snare that comes your way. But if you're working for these other reasons that are all in the scripture and you're content, you walk right past them. Sometimes you don't even see them. You don't even see them. And this is serious, you'll notice, because look then at what verse 10 adds to this. Look at the second part of verse 10. It starts off, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Now here comes the second part. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. This is serious. This is, after all, a snare. You know, these guys that we watched out there in Tanzania, these villagers, when they were setting snares, can I just say it this way? They were trying to kill the bird. It wasn't a game. They were hungry. Their kids were hungry. They're setting a snare to kill that animal so that they can eat it. That's what snares are. Snares aren't fun. 
And that's exactly what walking around in this world with the desire to be rich does to you. It sets you up to be tempted. And you see the pile of corn and you step in it. And when that thing gets around your leg, you are in trouble. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew six twenty four. He said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus said it. That's exactly how high the stakes are in this. And how important it is. We either renounce our pursuit of wealth and proclaim our pursuit of Christ. Or we retain our pursuit of wealth and deceive ourselves that we are followers of Christ. That's the Bible. Now, thirdly, thirdly, if we walk around with a desire inside of ourselves to get rich, we will hurt ourselves. We will hurt ourselves. Look at look at verse nine. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. That word foolish, he's he's saying that that this this desire within us that's so deadly, it leads to other foolish and harmful desires foolishness takes place and when i read that i thought of luke chapter 12 we've got to turn there so turn to luke chapter 12 verse 13 it's on page 1236 luke 12 beginning at 13 Jesus is there. There's a crowd around him. His disciples are there. What a, what a great instructive passage. So Jesus is there and it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, try to picture this. He's in a crowd. He's minding his own business in one sense. It's not like he's talking about this issue. But someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. <laughs> It's like, where did that come from? And verse 14, but he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, where did that come from? And then he answers the question because he, he knows people. And look in verse 15, it says, then he said to them, he's blown this guy off in one sense. He's going to talk to him, but he's not just responding to this guy anymore. You, you see, he says, he said to them, he's taking this as an opportunity now to teach everybody that's around that just heard this question. And he says to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Ouch. If you're that guy, right? I'm being used as exhibit A of greed. But he asked for it. It says, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Your life doesn't consist of what you own. Jesus is saying life is so much more than that. And then he tells a parable. Look at verse 16. And remember, the reason we arrived here is because of that word foolish. Back in 1 Timothy 6, he told a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. 
And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? He had so many crops, he didn't know what to do with them. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man. And here comes the moral of the story. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God called this man a fool. He was thinking just about himself. He was thinking about life is, the, it consists of the abundance of what I own. And God says, no, you're a fool. Now you're going to die. I've appointed for you to die tonight. Now what about all your energy and all you've put your life into? Now what about all this that you've stored up for yourself, you've put your hope in? Now what? You're rich towards yourself, but you haven't been rich toward God. Jesus told this story. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says this. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. The writer of Ecclesiastes noticed that that, uh, those who are rich, that others in a society would look at and say, oh, that person's rich, Um, they're not necessarily happy. And they keep wanting more. One man said, gold is like seawater. The more one drinks of it, the thirstier one becomes. Interesting. And so back in 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, the second part says, Many foolish and harmful desires take place. They're spawned by this desire to be rich. And then in the second part of, uh, I mean, the uh, last part, I mean, the last part of verse 10 says, And pierce themselves with many griefs. This is, this is the way a person's life goes when they allow themselves to live with the desire to be rich. They end up piercing themselves. What an irony that is. That they've desired the wealth so that they could make themselves more comfortable. But in the end, the desire for their wealth pierces them. Terrible word, pierce. It's like they've been stabbed with a knife. Or shot with an arrow. They've been pierced, it says. And they did it to themselves. We hurt ourselves when we allow ourselves to walk around with the desire to get rich. It's told that there was in the 1800s an American financier named Jay Gould. And he died... In those days, his worth was around $100 million. Can you imagine that in the 1800s? $100 million. And he said to have exclaimed with his dying breath, I'm the most miserable devil in the world. The riches won't do it. He pierced himself with many, many a grief. Stories told of another rich man who had committed suicide and inside one of his pockets there was $30,000 of cash and a letter which in part read this I have discovered during my life that piles of money do not bring happiness 
When I was an ordinary workman in New York, I was happy. Now that I possess millions, I am infinitely sad and prefer death. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Friends, um, I didn't make this up. It almost sounds un-American or something. But these are the words that I've read you are the words of Jesus and the words of Scripture. And it's telling us that if we want to get rich, at least three things are going to happen to us. We will endanger ourselves. In other words, we will expose ourselves to other temptations. We, we will entrap ourselves and we will hurt ourselves. Perhaps that's why in Proverbs chapter 30, beginning at verse 7, there's a prayer. It's a, it's a prayer that you never see on, on uh, the advertisements and television. I, this doesn't come up during the timeout of football games. I've never seen this one yet. The, the, pro, the one writing Proverbs says this, and he's speaking to God. Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. He's going to ask God for two things. Keep deception and lies far from me. That's number one. And here comes number two. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. He's saying, Lord, I don't want to be poor. Don't let me be poor, Lord, because then I might be tempted to steal and I'll profane your name. But Lord, on the other hand, don't let me get rich because then I might get full and forget you and say, ah, who's really, who is this God? So Lord, just give me what I need. Amen. Kind of a scary prayer, isn't it? Kind of goes against maybe what we've been taught by our culture for so long. But remember, we work and the reasons we work and God blesses that. And, but we leave the results to him. Let him do what he'll do with the results. But I'm not going to try to get with all of my energy. I'm not going to walk around. I'm not going to go to work every day desiring to get rich or else I'll, I'll endanger myself entrap myself and I will hurt myself. And that is a guarantee from the word of God. That is God's word. And it's what he said. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask, O Lord, that that you would overcome the obstacles in our own heart. Where we would resist this or try to justify our own desires or just say um, but 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 no lord no buts we ask your forgiveness for the desire to be rich that's in many of our hearts and we ask your, your cleansing and your forgiveness we want to turn that uh, uh, turn aside from it and we want to pray along with the one who wrote the book of proverbs there chapter 30 lord Give us neither poverty nor riches. Our overwhelming desire 
is that you be honored and glorified. So we want you to do that in our life, O Lord. And if you choose with our heart right to give us much, what a joy it will be to use it for your glory and not just use it for ourselves. We thank you, Father, and say, yes, Lord, speak to us on this issue in Jesus' name. Amen.